Okay. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm the Compulsive Reader, Magdalena Ball, and today's guest is Lorraine Mace, one of the authors of the ABC Checklist for New Writers, How to Open Doors and Get Noticed the First Time Round. Lorraine describes herself as a perennial nomad, and I'll ask her more about that later, uh, and is truly a Jill of all trades. She's a busy freelancer, she's won poetry competitions, she's written novels for children, and she's working on a thriller. Welcome, welcome Lorraine. Hi. Um, Lorraine is coming to us uh, from France, and I'm here in Australia, and listeners can be everywhere, and that's one of the things I just love about uh, the Internet, is that um, all of those normal constraints about distance seem to disappear entirely. So uh, I feel like Lorraine's in the room with me here in Australia. Um, normally, uh, what I do when I'm interviewing somebody around fiction is I like to ask the, um, the author to read a little bit from the book, just to give the listeners a feel or a flavor for it. But you know, I think it's just as valid for nonfiction. And a lot of, lot of the people who will be listening to, in to us today are actually writers. So Lorraine, can you read us a little section of your book? Just um, pick an area that you think might um, give the readers a, a flavor of it. Yes, I'd love to. Um, the section I'd like to read from is actually um, the, the piece about feedback, because so many writers, um, I, something I was very guilty of, we, we are very thin-skinned when it comes to criticism. So this section on feedback um, is, is actually about how to deal with uh, criticism and, and how to get constructive criticism. One of the most precious gifts a writer receives is constructive criticism. This can come in various forms, some of which are more valuable than others. To make the best use of feedback, the writer has to stand aside from their work and imagine it has been written by someone else. This is far from easy to do, but with practice, even the thinnest skinned of writers can distance their emotions from the comments made about their masterpieces. Feedback from family and friends. Observations from this group are the hardest to evaluate because our nearest and dearest will try their utmost not to hurt our feelings. It is therefore necessary to listen very carefully to what is said and also to what is left unsaid. Sift out the critical remarks from the praise that will be heaped on you. If a comment runs along the lines of, I thought it was great, but could such and such really have happened? It is worth paying attention. The people who know you are highly unlikely to make negative statements just for the sake of it. So something that causes your reader to question the validity of the piece needs looking at. Feedback as editorial response. Anything a busy editor tells you is worth acting on. Very rarely will an editor make a personal note on a rejection slip. So if they do, whether it's about the content or writing style, take the words to heart and act on them to improve your writing. Make sure the next item you submit doesn't contain the same flaws. But on that such topic, a word of warning. Don't make the error of thinking all you need to do to is fix the problems that they've highlighted and then resubmit the piece. You should only resubmit after corrections if the editor has asked you to do so. The last type of feedback is professional feedback from editorial services. 
If you have acted on lots of constructive criticism, but still only receive rejections in the Morning Post, it might be worthwhile paying for a full professional critique of your writing. There are many literary consultancies available, but they do not come cheap. Always check to make sure they have satisfied clients who are prepared to speak out on their behalf. A good service will have testimonials available from people they have assisted towards publication. Reputable companies will have no hesitation in telling you about success stories that you can verify. Also, many reputable writing magazines offer critique services at reasonable fees. So, to summarize, ask friends and family to give honest criticism rather than undeserved praise. Always pay attention to any editorial feedback. It is both rare and valuable. And if you are struggling to get work accepted, consider paying for a professional critique. Terrific. Thank, thank you for that, Lorraine. And it's so true, isn't it, that um, a lot of people, writers, non-writers and, and I guess new writers, don't realize um, just how much work is involved after you actually finish a piece, particularly a long piece. Um, have you found that I think, with your work? To be per perfectly honest with you, I think I've done more work on finished, so-called finished work, than I do on the, on the first draft. Um, writing the end on something actually is only the beginning because you have to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and just keep polishing until eventually you've got something that's uh, worth sending out into the marketplace. Yes, and it's really a major part of the, the learning curve, I think, for a first-timer to find that out. Just to, you know, you, you think inspiration is the key thing that you need as a writer, and it really isn't, is it? It's, it's tenacity and, and I think the ability to put away that ego and go, okay, I need to work on this, or, you know, this isn't good. I, I can remember when I, when I very first started, I used to give things to my husband to read. And if he said, but hang on, that, that can't, you know, that doesn't work. I used to get so upset because I took it as, the, as a personal attack. But in fact, he was absolutely right. He was saying, that doesn't work. You know, as a reader, this doesn't work for me. Now when I give um, things to him uh, to read, I, I'm waiting for him to tell me what doesn't work because that's how I can improve on it. Mm, absolutely. And, I, you know, I think with my novel, um, Sleep Before Evening, uh, you know, I can remember that when I said I was done, it took about two years after that to actually get it to the point of submission and a lot of rejections with, you know, from those um, nice publishing houses who actually did give me some feedback. So I did a lot of rewriting. And I don't think you can actually publish a novel without being prepared to swallow a lot of humble pie and say, you know, these people have something to tell me and I need to learn and, and grow from it. It's like any craft, though, isn't it? Of course. And, you know, they're the professionals in the industry. They know what they're talking about and we have to listen. Mm. Um, the, the thing that always amuses me is when we hear about these overnight success stories mm. that have generally taken about 5, 10, 15 years to become an overnight success story. That's right. J.K. Rowling's or John Grisham, I hear about all the time how much money these people are making. And um, they did a long slug before they became overnight success stories. A long, long apprenticeship. And I think that's the thing. We, As writers, we have to accept that it's not going to happen overnight. We've, we've got to work at it and work at it. Mm. 
Absolutely. So tell me about um, how we, we had a little chat before we started, and um, you began to touch on that. But how did the ABC checklist come about? Okay, uh, Maureen and I actually met through an online writing site. Uh, we met through WriteLink many, many years ago when we were both um, quite new to writing. And uh, we got to know each other quite well, and, and we shared a sense of humor, and we started sending each other work to critique. And one day we were discussing the difficulties we'd encountered when we were absolute beginners. Because like most new writers, neither of us had understood the first thing about how to put together a decent proposal. Anyway, we were moaning about how much easier it would have been if there had been a book available with all of the info that we needed. And the next thing we knew, we were writing the book that we wanted to be available when we were beginners. And that's how it came about. And what made you decide on the alphabetical structure? We thought, we, we actually spent a lot of time thinking, again, going back to what Maureen and I would have wanted if it had been available. And we wanted to write it in the format that we would have found most useful. We sort of put ourselves back where we, where we started from as beginners and thought, now, what would be the structure that would be most useful to us? So we wanted to keep it simple, and we thought if we put it in an ABC structure, the beginner writer doesn't have to read the book from cover to cover. They can find the thing that they're looking for. Um, I can remember when, when I was a new writer, certain terms were used. And I hadn't a clue what they, were, what they meant. And to be able to look that word up, to, know, to see what it means, how to use it, and then the cross-referencing idea, um, it was so that uh, people could look at at the topics and then move on easily to the next bit of info um, and also related topics to read next or in conjunction uh, with the current entry. Did, did you ever feel hampered by the fact that some letters had lots and lots of, um, of words associated with them and then other letters, um, perhaps like X, uh, you know, were a little bit more limited in what, um, what you could put in there? Were you worried about balance? No. But it, it, in a way, yes, because obviously we had to have something for every letter of the alphabet, otherwise it wasn't going to be an A, B, C. But we didn't want to limit ourselves by saying, okay, we've got to have so many entries for A and so many entries for B. We wanted to put in the book everything that needed to be there. And if it meant that it was over heavy on the C section or the L section, well, then so be it. The, the most important thing was actually getting the information into the book that we felt beginner writers needed to know. And I suppose um, having that alphabet in front of you forced you to brainstorm a little and, and think, you know, what does relate to writing in this letter of the alphabet? I mean, I guess by the time you go from A to Z, you, you've really, you've covered everything. Um, well, I hope we've covered everything. But what actually happened, we, we, um, we did a lot of brainstorming beforehand. Then when we actually came to write the book, Lots of topics came up that obviously we then slotted in, and some of them were actually taken out because we found that they fitted better in a different part of the book. So the brainstorming um, took place before we started, while we were writing, and even um, when we were going through the revisions. Mm. 
Now, did, did have you found, um, you know, with reviews and various um, types of feedback that I guess you only get once the book is out there, um, has anything come up that you feel like you really wish you'd included that might come into a future edition or maybe lead to a, a second book? Um, we don't think so at the moment, but um, we may expand on some areas. Um, we had a little bit of feedback where uh, uh, even your own review, where, where you feel that um, some things we could have given more examples. So we, you know, we're going to look at all critical feedback, and in the next edition, if we feel that there are areas that we could have expanded on or given more examples, then certainly we'll do that. Um, also, we'll, we'll look at feedback that we get from readers because you know we both get uh, emails and um, saying how how people have found the book. One thing that we are thinking of doing is actually taking removing the word new from the title because we've had a, um, a number of established writers tell us how helpful they've found the book, particularly those who um, are departing from their usual area of writing. Um, people who have been writing novels that are now looking to uh, write a non-fiction book. In fact, a, um, somebody who's, who bought the book who's been writing for 25 years, been writing novels and short stories for 25 years, now wants to embark on a non-fiction book. And of course, the, the proposal for a non-fiction book is completely different to that um, for, for a, uh, a novel. Mainly, um, for a non-fiction book, you don't write the book first. Mm. Where, yeah, where so for a novel, you have to have this completely different. Where for a novel, you, you would actually finish it, rewrite it, rewrite it, rewrite it, and then when it's perfect, start sending it out. For a non-fiction book, it's completely the opposite. You have the idea. Uh, um, you have to lay out uh, the different chapter heads and various other things. But what you don't do is write the book. And the reason for that is that a, a, a very often a publisher of a non-fiction book will like the idea that you put forward, but they may well want you to expand on it in a particular way or take the idea and change it completely so that it's written in, in a different format to the, the way you have envisaged it. So... If um, you go to a, a non-fiction publisher with the book already written, you are far more likely to be rejected than if you go with just the idea, but with a, a proper proposal. And our book does actually set out exactly how a non-fiction proposal should be put forward. Mm, and that's an excellent point, too, because even with something that you do regularly, such as writing a novel, the... Um, the time frame, at least for people who work as slowly as I do, between um, you know sending out a query and, and looking to get a publisher for a novel, and actually writing and going through the process of uh, you know creating a second novel and then re-sending it out, could be many many years. So when you're actually doing a query again, it may be a long long time uh, between queries, if you like. So the book could still be yep. useful for for experienced writers in that sense. Well, I think I think it is also. Um, People, you know, if, if you are uh, writing lots of articles for magazines, moving then into uh, submitting a proposal for a novel, again, it's something completely different. So we are seriously considering taking the word new out of the title because of the feedback we've, we've had from experienced writers who have bought the book. 
And I think um, between you and Maureen, with um, the two of you, you probably have done pretty much all types of writing, haven't you? I think so. <laughs> I think everything apart from perhaps writing for television, and that is my next, that, that's my next challenge. Are you really planning to add that as well to the suite? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to, um, that, is, that is my next challenge. I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't started it yet, but that is the next thing that I want to do. Oh, wonderful. So um, tell me about the collaboration. Um, Maureen, as the listeners may not realize this, but you're, you're of course, in France. Maureen's in England. So um, how did you work out the collaboration? Um, I, actually, it wasn't too difficult because, as I say, we, we chat on um, MSN, on, on Messenger, just about every day. Uh, we basically just leave the, the Messenger box open and, you know, sometimes a couple of days will go by and we haven't, won't say anything. And then other days we, we, we chat quite a lot. And we use that to sort of bat ideas um, around and we listened what each other had to say and we used the best of them in the, in the book. Um, actually, funnily enough, you know, we didn't, we didn't speak to each other, actually physically speak to each other until our book proposal had been accepted and we had um, a, a time set to meet with the publisher. And... Uh, about a month before we were due to see the publisher, we spoke on the phone for the first time. We've been friends for very nearly five years and had never spoken. Mm. Um, and then we met for the first time half an hour before we met our publisher. So anyway, um, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we look, we, we sent each other section, the sections we'd written by email and we kept our master copy updated. Um, it worked out really well. Um, as I said earlier, our writing styles are very similar, so that wasn't a problem. Did, did you um, and in fact, we, Well, what we did, we, we took each letter. Uh, we, we literally started at A and worked our way through. And we took all of the different sections um, that were in under each letter, took out the ones that we each felt uh, comfortable, we really wanted to do, and then the ones that were left, it was really a sort of a, a mini, mini, mini mode. You take that one, I'll take this one. You take that one, I'll take this one. And that's how, that's how we wrote the book. And is this the first publication you've had with Orana? Yes, it is. Um, but in fact, um, before we um, sort of go on to Orana, Maureen and I are collaborating on another book. It's nothing to do with writing this time, but the project was so successful that we're going to work on another one. What, what type of book are you going to work on? Um, we're actually going to, uh, we're putting together a proposal at the moment on a book on little-known women in history, uh, women who have really changed the world, but nobody knows about them. Oh, sounds wonderful. We'll, we'll have it's, to... it's quite interesting. Yes, we'll be looking out for that. So, so now tell me about Orana. What was it like working with um, a small traditional house? And how did you find them? Uh, uh, um, do you mean literally how did we find them? Or, or how was it working with them? Well, <laughs> okay, we, we found them through um, writing news. Uh, I don't know if you get that in Australia. It's a, a very good magazine that's full of different uh, um, market opportunities. 
that we get each month. Um, around working with a, a small house, it's got good and bad aspects. Um, it's great from the point of view of being able to contact the publisher easily and get decisions made. Uh, it was also not nice that the the person who accepted the, the idea was the same person we dealt with all the way through the project. We we dealt with the head of the publishing house. But on, on the negative side, um, the the budget for marketing isn't as great with a, a small house as it would be with a larger house. And also, not everything. Um, is done in-house in the same way that it would be with a, a larger publishing house. So we had um, some delays on proofreading, you know, that type of thing, because it was sent away, and we had to wait, um, you know, while while it was being done and then sent back again. Um, but all in all, I think the, the pros outweigh the cons. It, it, it is quite nice to deal with a, a small publishing house. Mm. And do you think... think um that a lot of new authors tend to go straight for, you know, they tend to aspire to go straight for the big five and, um, you know, thinking that, well, the bigger the better. And often that's not the case. You know, often the smaller ones are better for a new author. I, I think that is the case. Look, unless you are extremely lucky, um, I think it's, it's easy to get lost in, a, in one of the large publishing houses. You know, they, they, they have their superstars. Um, and I, th I think for a, a, a new author, a beginner author, it's very difficult to actually make your mark um, in, in one of the larger houses. Mm. And then there's I think the time the, factor too, isn't there? The, the amount of time you actually get to sell a lot of copies of your book. This is the thing. With a smaller house, they can devote more time to you. So yes, the marketing budget may be smaller, but they are actually giving you their time which can be more valuable than money. Yes, and, and often with a big house, um, from what I've heard anyway, um, you know, you may have an advance, but you have to get out there and hustle your book. And if it doesn't sell a lot of copies quickly, um, quite often that's the end of you with them. I, I think that is the case. But, it, yeah, I, I, I do think that is the case. One of, one of the, um, I'm actually just going to say, one of the biggest um, hurdles that a new author has to um, in, uh, face is the fact that we have to actually market our own books, whether you are with a big house or a small house. It's the author these days that has to get out there, talk to people about your book, make sure that it's known, make sure that um, review copies get sent out. Not that we send the review copies, but making sure that the publisher has a list of uh, people that the review copy should go to, constantly looking for ways to actually self-publicize. Authors today have to market themselves. It, it isn't done, even by the big publishing houses, apart from for their, the, the people right at the very top. Um, I, I don't think that the big publishing houses give that much marketing to um, new authors. They expect you to do a lot yourself. And that's, that's another of the, the big learning curves for new authors, isn't it? To find that out, to actually, again, get to the end of this process of creating something and find that you now have a, a big job in actually getting it into the hands of readers. Absolutely. You know, I, I always thought that 
just getting a book accepted for publication was the be-all and end-all, but in fact it's not. It's the start of the journey. If, if, you, if an author is not prepared to do their own marketing, the book will bomb, unless you are extremely lucky, because you've got to make sure that people know about your book. They've got to know about your, what's good about the book. They've got to know where they can get it. You've really got to, you have to sell yourself as an author. You have to sell the idea of the book and you have to sell the book itself. Not physically, but you have to make sure that everybody gets to know about it. Sure. Sometimes physically too, I think. Um, <laughs> do, do you find when you've got a lot of books that, um, as, as you do indeed, um, a lot of different genres to, um, to get out there, that there's a juggling act between creating and selling and that it's you know you have to find that 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 balance so that you don't spend all your time obsessing about um i guess about promotion of the book or books um but also find some time to actually create new new work you do and and to be perfectly honest with you i am finding that difficult i it's too much of my not too much but a lot of my time is taken up with thinking what can i do next to actually, um, from a marketing point of view. Um, and I'd like to spend more time just writing. But mm-hmm. it, I, I think we have to just accept that the way the world is now, that's what we have to do both. We have to write and we have to market. Sure. And, and again, um, you know, we have to, I guess, accept that that is simply part of the process of being an author, that it's not yeah. an add-on at the end. It's really part of the whole deal. Absolutely. You've got to know that up front. You've got to accept right from the beginning that if, you're, if you want your book to do well, you're going to have to take responsibility for the marketing. Hmm. Now, um, tell me about, uh, about being a perennial nomad. Um, you've, you've gone everywhere and you're in you know, one of the most beautiful parts of the world, in, in my book anyway, um, the Dordogne. Um, how did you end up there and you know, what's it like living there as a, you know, an English writer? I've lived abroad for over half my life. Um, so for me, this is just another country, which sounds terrible, but it is. Um, I've lived in South Africa, which has to be one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Um, here in the Dordogne, it's, it's absolutely lovely. Um, but being an expat has been great uh, from the point of view of writing opportunities for me. Uh, I have another book coming out later this year, which is... Um, giving tips on moving abroad. Um, I also have a, a column starting up in writing magazine in the UK, which is aimed at writers abroad, uh, giving tips and advice on some of the issues that we face as expat writers. Um, and of course, I write lots of features about all of the great places I've lived. Uh, I think I'm, I'm a really lucky writer from that point of view. So you know, uh, to that has become your material, <laughs> in effect. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, my first column came about because uh, I had such an appalling. When I lived in France before, I had such an appalling French accent that all sorts of peculiar things ha- happened, and I wrote a column for Living in France magazine in the UK on what it was like to be an expat in, in France. And then when we moved to Spain, 
uh, I wrote a column for a Spanish magazine. And those columns, those articles, have now uh, transformed into another book, which I'm hoping um, to find a publisher for. That one is still at the proposal stage. So being an expat uh, and a writer, it, it provides lots and lots of material. And I guess that's another lesson for new writers, really, isn't it? That, um, you know, that th there's no limit, really, that your experiences in life can always be translated into workable material. Absolutely. Um, another proposal that I have, I mean, I, I don't mind admitting it, I'm menopausal. And uh, another proposal that I have out with a publisher, the, the same publisher that's um, bringing out the moving abroad tips, is how to cope with, uh, with menopause, but with humor. Um, so anything to do with your life, you can actually turn into writing material, whether it's fiction or non-fiction. I use everything in my life, in, in my writing. Yes, yeah, so I can think of the odd um, argument where I've actually um, said, you know, go on, I was, I'm just taking mental notes. This is great material. I <laughs> know. <laughs> doesn't always go down well, though. <laughs> no. No, and then, and then you find the clam up, and you think, oh, it was just getting interesting. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a good way to win the argument, though. Um, we're nearly Absolutely. out of time. So um, do tell us where listeners can find your book, and perhaps more about okay, it. Um, okay, our publisher is uh, planning to have the book out in Australian stores later this year, but in the meantime, it's best to go to Amazon. But listeners in the UK can buy the book at Waterstones or at lots of online stores, including Amazon. That's wonderful. And just before we sign off, um, tell me what we can look for in the future from you. You've, you've got um, a book coming out on, um, on these, or you're working on a book on the women um, in history, the unsung heroes. Um, yes. Tell us what else. Uh, okay, I have... Uh, a book coming out this year, as I say, on moving abroad. Um, I have a proposal uh, on a humorous look at menopause. I have um, a, a book under consideration, which is um, a, a collection of uh, humorous articles on being an expat. But my big love, my, believe it or not, my biggest love is fiction. And... If only I had the time to get back to my novels, that's what I would like to do. But um, I, I'm actually finding that, that the non-fiction is, is so successful that I don't, don't have time at the moment to, to work on my, on my fiction, which is quite sad in one way, but obviously very good in another. Yes, I can, I can sympathize. It's, uh, fiction is a much harder sell, and I get a lot more work. Um, and yes. those two things in conjunction, perhaps, um, make it... You know, it's your soul work as opposed to um, work that people are demanding. What it is, it, it, that's, it's, fiction is my, it's my real love. Mm. Well, that's wonderful, Lorraine. That's, that's it. We're, we're out of time. I think we're still um, recording even though um, the show is finished. But that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, our guest next month is painter, poet, and performer Basil Eliades. He's the author of Third Eye, which is available in book form and on CD. And um, I'm trying to coerce him into performing, perhaps with music as well, some of the work from his latest CD. And I think you'll find it quite interesting. So um, we'll see you then. Thanks very much, Lorraine. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.